look at God's Word. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 uh, through 23. We're continuing our study through the book of Galatians, verse by verse, as we've been looking at this particular uh, passage of Scripture. We are obviously nearing the end of Galatians, coming into chapter 6 before too long. And, uh, but it's been a, such a rich study. I was actually just speaking with my dad today, and what we've been studying in here, uh, my dad was telling me, he said, uh, there was, uh, well, there was a family member that had had a, uh, a baptism at a Lutheran church, and while they were there, they were, uh, there were some young people that were being baptized, and um, the minister said that the baptism made the people saved. And uh, there were some other issues there. And, and they also sprinkled rather than immersed. And with which my dad had obviously great, a great deal of disagreement biblically. And, uh, but that is a different gospel if, you, if baptism is what makes you a Christian as opposed to just simply faith in Christ. And we've been dealing with this very idea in the book of Galatians of Judaizers, legalists, uh, who are imposing various things that people have to do in order to get saved, rather than just simply believe Jesus by faith for salvation. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. The which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As you think on these very pa- these truths tonight, no one comes, you know, uh, one of these lists that are so common in the writings of Paul and He lists here first the sexual sins, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And we talked about these last week. And these are the very things that are uh, sexual sins and uh, that is so prevalent in our world today. It is even by many professing believers that are going through and are giving in to these very sins and uh, thus creating lots of problems for their testimony for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, he says, I don't want you to be in the flesh. And as a Christian, we ought to forsake the flesh. Uh, We see a little uh, banner there on the back, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. But God does not want us to be in the flesh. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. And there are various things that we uh, discussed last week. So before I go any further, let's uh, say a quick word of prayer and bring this before God and ask for His help on this time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, I I desperately need your help. Father, I I understand a a passage of Scripture that, Lord, can be challenging. Our dear Father, I need your help. Speak through me as I preach your holy word. And Lord, I pray that in our lives we would put aside the flesh to enjoy the peace and the closeness with our Father. Lord, that we would be holy as you are holy. Lord, I pray as I preach that you'd help make everything clear and understandable. 
Lord, help me to speak slowly and calmly. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So he deals, first of all, and as I mentioned these things last week, then we dealt with spiritual sins, sins of a more religious nature, idolatry, witchcraft. And uh, again, we see that, of a more religious nature. Then we dealt with social sins, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, so on. And uh, Paul lists here, really, here's a, a portrait of a man with whom the Holy Spirit, you know, a terrible portrait of an individual who is led and, you know, just driven by their flesh, driven by their emotions, following their heart. I mean, you really think about an individual who's an adulterous, foul, licentious person given to idolatry and the dark sins of witchcraft, hateful, quarrelsome, jealous, bad-tempered, one who causes dissension and one who's envious, murderous, habitually drunk and debauched. And Satan has caused a man to become like that. The flesh is what makes people uh, behave like this. And the Apostle Paul tells us, as he says in verse 21, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What a, and he's saying here, these people who continually practice this, and uh, I'm going to talk more about this. So if someone was to do this in their life, does it mean they're unsaved? It doesn't. Uh, I, I just want to say that quickly, but we'll get back to that point. They don't lose their salvation, but they will definitely grieve the Spirit of God. And uh, this idea is an individual who can practice these sins and it doesn't bother them. You, they better be questioning their salvation. If they can partake of these sins and it has no bearing, it has no uneasiness inside of their spirit and between them and God, you can bank it down. They are not saved. It, ought, it will not bother them. And the very thing is, who knowing the judgment of God, in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, would you look with me here? And in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, God gives us the very truths here. Uh, of individuals who practice these sins. <clears throat> and there's all types of sins listed here. You could read them, uh, verses 21 and following. Uh, people were unthankful to God. And, and it starts off with an unthankfulness, and it goes through a whole litany of sins uh, to include the homosexuality and all of those sins, uh, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. And then verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Again, these are individuals who are practicing these sins. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1 of Romans, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. So again, there's a practicing of a critical spirit towards others that we also see here uh, in chapter 2, verse 1. This idea is continually and perpetually here. Let's look at another passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If we find that, yes, there are believers that will commit these sins. Now, if they commit these sins, does it mean they're not saved? No, it doesn't. But it does mean they will be out of fellowship with God. They will not be close to fellowship with God. They will not have that intimate relationship with God. They will not have God hearing their prayers uh, unless they're coming in repentance. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, not 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9. There's a similar list of sins. Know ye not that the unrighteous, now when he's talking about unrighteous here, he's talking about those who are not Christians, okay? And uh, le- biblically Christians, <laughs> you know, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But anyways, he says, but know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we understand that. We know that if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you pass from this life into the next, you will not be in God, you will not go to heaven. You will not be a part of the kingdom of of all believers and the kingdom of God. You will not be there. We understand that. Be not deceived. And then he says a whole bunch of things. You find it interesting how oftentimes God lists the very first sins of a sexual nature. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. He says in verse 11, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In the very fact, he gives a, a differentiation. He says, and such were some of you. So these are what people are practicing. Now, I don't care uh, if an individual, and there are individuals in our world today that are of all different types of wickedness that they're in. But they're not going to be happy in it. They're going to be grieved. They're going to be struggling. Their spirit's going to be at odds with God. And they're going to be unhappy. They may go through much mental torment and mental anguish. I I know when I was out of fellowship with God, there was a time in my life where I was out of fellowship and it was the most miserable place to be. And I was just longing to get back into the peace of God. And he says here, such were some of you. If an individual can partake of verse 9 and verse 10 sins, and it does not bother their spirit, they are not saved. They aren't. It ought to bother them. I'm not saying that they can't commit these sins, but what I am saying is if they do commit these sins, it ought to tear them apart. Now we know we can't get into the kingdom of God by our own efforts. We can certainly be kept out of it by practicing these sins. An individual who does not want to, you know, when they accept Jesus Christ, I'll accept Jesus Christ on conditions. No, i got to understand I'm a sinner. i got to understand that I am guilty before an almighty God. And uh, does God help clean up that after I get saved? Absolutely. I understand people can get saved and uh, they can be in these particular lifestyles and these particular habits of life and then the Spirit of God's going to convict them and then they go like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. God, please help me. That's, one, that's, a good, that's a good indication if someone is committing sin and inwardly the Spirit of God saying, uh-uh, you shouldn't be doing that. And you're just like, oh, i got to stop doing this. That's a good indication of someone that knows Jesus Christ is their Savior. But look at, let's look at several things here. The Bible tells us about someone who is genuinely saved. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. The Bible makes a clear delineation. It makes a clear Like, I mean, it's like you cut something down, right? Black and white. He says in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man 
is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. There ought to be a difference between someone who's accepted Christ to someone who has not. Now there's a lot of people that profess Christ, but they don't live for him and they commit sins and it doesn't really bother them. You have to question. Now I'm not the judge. It's between them and God. But what I am saying is, there ought to be our old man. There, see, when, when on April 30th, 1986, my old man, Chris, died, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Today, there's still, I still struggle with some of the old man. I still struggle with some of the habits and the, the, you know, those very things. You still have a selfish nature that wants what it wants. And, and there's that daily battle, as the Apostle Paul would talk about in Romans chapter 7. Revelation 1.5, it talks about the first begotten of the dead. Again, there is a difference. And it is possible for a child of God to fall into one of these sins. But they are in serious peril if they do that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, uh, chapter 7 excuse me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. If you're committing these sins, and, and <clears throat> someone says they're saved... There's going to be some fruit. And what I mean by that is you are going to evidence in your life by whom has bought you. If Jesus Christ owns you, uh, Jesus Christ bought you by his blood on that cross, you receive, you receive the gift of Jesus Christ by faith alone, right? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There ought to be some fruits. Now in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, the Bible tells us, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Now if I'm going out to a vineyard and I'm going to gather the grapes, I'm not going there to gather thorns. I want grapes, not thorns, right? And even so every good tree bringeth forth good tree, a good fruit, excuse me, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now this obviously is an indication of talking about false prophets. There's a lot of preachers today, uh, and a lot you'll find on the internet and, and social media and other various uh, places. But by their fruits, what, are, what kind of people are these prophets, these preachers, are they producing? Are they producing people that want to live a holy, separated life, exclusively dedicated to Jesus Christ, or people that want a little bit of spattering of Jesus in their life, and yet they want to live however they want to live? See, an individual that has come to know Christ, there is a significant difference. You remember Zacchaeus, when he accepted Jesus Christ, he said, I will pay back four times what I've stolen from people. There was a different person. When the, the maniac of Gadara, when he accepted Christ and the demons were cast out, he was sitting in his right mind and he says, I want to tell people about Jesus and I want to follow you, Jesus. Jesus said, go back and tell your family. He was a different man. You see, the Holy Spirit uh, in the believer never ceases to war against our old nature. 
I have to every day battle the old nature. I have to battle my selfishness. I have to battle uh, uh, the pride and all these various things that come in and and they want to uh, bring me back into the bondage of the old life. The Bible tells us that we cannot be deceived we should, not, we, 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 we should not be deceived. In John chapter 3, verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's there in John chapter 3, verse 20. If someone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not going to want the Bible to reveal the sin in their lives. They're going to say, well, there's many, many excuses. Well, the Bible was only written thousands of years ago. It doesn't really apply to today. And and there's various ways that people with such, you know, they can get academics and degrees and all these various things. And uh, Dr. So-and-so says this doesn't apply to us today. Well, the Bible was written for all men, for all men of all time. Now, we understand the Old Testament Jewish law, Jesus fulfilled. And we're not under the Jewish law anymore. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And we don't have stoning and stuff if people commit these particular sins. If a, if a uh, you know, if someone lies or, uh, you know, if a, a child disrespects, you know, a young child disrespects their parents and continually goes against them or, you know, they would go out and stone them. Well, thankfully we don't have that today. But uh, Paul says here, as he says in Galatians, these people shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this idea of inherit, inherit here is used in a variety of ways. It includes uh, in it, it's embrace all that we have in Christ that is promised to us. What is the idea here? That as Israel was in the wilderness, they were promised the promised land. We as a believer have been promised that we will live forever with Jesus in heaven. We have been promised that when Jesus comes back to earth physically on the earth, the second time we will come back with him as, as saints. And... Um, we have a birthright that God gives to us as a free gift. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, being, so much, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus Christ, a more excellent name. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of inheritance, though he sought it carefully with tears. This is talking about Esau, Jacob and Esau, after Esau had been, uh, Jacob had deceived his father, stolen his birthright. Esau wanted his father's uh, birthright. He couldn't get it. He got so angry, so mad, and he, he wanted the inheritance, and it was forever lost. Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ by night and talking about the kingdom of God. He wanted to see the kingdom of God. He wanted to see the new birth. But there is no new birth apart from Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verse 3 in your Bibles tonight. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no inheritance unless someone is born again. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior by faith alone for the forgiveness of all your sins, you're not born again. It's by faith, by faith alone. I'm guilty before an almighty, holy God as I stand judged before him. I can only plead guilty. 
Some people may think here in Galatians that this shall not inherit the kingdom of God refers to a loss in the millennial kingdom, a millennial age. What is this speaking about? When I speak about millennial, the word millennial means 1,000, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And so what this period of time encompasses is <clears throat> we have our current uh, time, the age of grace, and uh, we accept Jesus Christ by faith, we have local churches, well, there's coming a period of time where there will be a one-world ruler. This is known as the tribulation period, seven years. There will be, why it's seven years? Because there will be a seven-year peace agreement made with Israel. And these nations, with this one-world ruler, will sign a seven-year peace agreement. Halfway through that, this Antichrist, this one-world ruler, he will break the covenant in the last three and a half years. But up to the first three and a half years, there's going to be... Uh, you know, unbelievable bloodshed. Billions of people will die. The last three and a half years are so unspeakably horrible as we'll find in the book of Revelation. I mean, it is terrifying. It's horrible if you don't know Jesus Christ. But as a Christian, before this period of all this harsh judgment comes, which the tribulation period, much like Noah, you know, like Noah, God brought out those who were righteous before the flood came. Before the tribulation comes, God will rapture up the believers. We will be in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. We we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will all be together, all believers of all ages. We will be there with our King and our Shepherd and the Lamb of, you know, the Lamb that was slain. Well, by, we're out of here, and then during this time, the, the one world ruler rules. At the end of this period of time, the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ will come back, and we will come back with Him, and He will, uh, I mean, He's going to kick in doors and take names. I mean, Satan and the Antichrist are going to be kicked out during that 1,000-year reign. Satan's going to be locked in, uh, in, in, in hell. He'll be locked away for 1,000 years. At the end of, and that, during that 1,000 years, Jesus will rule and reign on the throne of this world. At the end of that 1,000 years, Satan is released because during that 1,000 years, it will show, I'm just giving you a, I'm mentioning it, so I want to kind of give you a little bit of timeline of how this all works in uh, eschatology, which is a study of end times. Eschatos means end, uh, last things, or, uh, and so the study of last things. But anyways, Satan, and Satan is released, he, a large army, they come against Christ, he wipes them out, the great white throne judgment, everyone that does not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior is going to have to stand before it, books are open, every bad deed they've ever done will be there before everyone to listen to, and they will be judged to the lake of fire, and hell will be cast in the lake of fire forever. And you and I that know Jesus Christ as our Savior will forever live with Christ shall not inherit. Some believe that this is what it's talking about. And during that millennial reign, what, how you live your life now will have a determination of how you rule and reign with Christ during that thousand years. If you're unfaithful now, you will, you'll lose privileges then. You will not rule and reign with Christ. You will lose it if you are not faithful in what God has called you. Now, you're not losing your salvation, but you do lose privileges to rule and reign with Christ during that period of time. And so this idea here, some may espouse this, uh, that you are going to lose that. You do not lose that. But others think that this really has a warning beyond this. And W.E. Vine says of this, and, and this is where I would uh, agree with this, that shall not inherit the kingdom of God, is that the practice of the vices is presumptive evidence of the absence of that new birth, meaning they're not saved, which is the sole qualification for heirship. You make it to heaven, and you are forgiven by God, 
because of the new birth. You've been born again. This expression cannot be confined to the millennial period. These things call for the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. Such can not have an inheritance of even a limited character in the kingdom of God. Their end is to endure the wrath of God. Their portion is the second death. And Jesus would say, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Born of water, you were born. Your mother's water broke. Born of the Spirit, you accepted Christ and your spirit was born again. There was a day where you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You were literally spiritually born again. You came to life from death. I mean, not from, from nothing. You, your spirit, because when you're born, our spirits are dead to God. When we, we get under the conviction of our sin and our sinful nature before God, we ask Christ to forgive us and we are born again spiritually. Now my spirit and God's spirit are able to communicate and, and it's what like in the garden Adam and Eve were not in fellowship with God until God killed an animal and clothed them with the skins and then they were able to talk with you know then they they had that close relationship they were able to have that again but God had to kill the spilling of blood and look with me at 2 Corinthians 5 17 and and this is something I ask you know people say I don't know if I'm saved well I, I'd ask them the Bible tells us several things you know there's various reasons why an individual can lose their assurance or their thinking that I'm saved some people hear other people well I didn't cry like that person did when they accepted Christ and and I didn't uh, pray that long as that person did and and I didn't do it this part or I didn't do it like this person or this person or this person it doesn't matter how long I I mean, because some labors, my mother, I think, was like 32 hours in labor with me or something long like that. Uh, our daughter was like 16 hours. It doesn't matter. You know, you're not like, oh, well, uh, she wasn't really born because it was too short. I mean, like, come on now. It's all different for every one of us. Your emotions are different. Your, your expression of how you deal with things. Uh, your past will deal also with how you express it. But have you had a time in your life where you, by faith alone in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of all your sins, you acknowledge you're a wretched sinner, you ask Him, please forgive me and be my Savior, and, and then if you do that, you're gloriously saved. It doesn't matter how you respond other than, you know, there ought to be an appreciation. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible tells us here, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, it's so amazing to me when I come across a believer who's maybe new in the faith. And they said, I, I did something the other day like I used to do before I accepted Christ. And they said, it used to never bother me, but now I did it. And man, the Holy Spirit of God, he really works on me. The Holy Spirit of God, I mean, he's just like taking a, uh, you know, it's kind of like someone just wrenching you insides and you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You feel that kind of dirty feeling inside or some feeling inside of, of like, I shouldn't be doing this. That's the conviction of the Spirit of God saying, hey, this isn't right. You know, you're going to hate the things you used to do. Now, I understand if you're young, you may not have a lot of things before you were saved. But nevertheless, whatever age you accepted Christ, there ought to be when you do something in your life, it ought to bother you if it's against what God wants you to do. Now, Paul comes to another period here in this passage of Galatians. We've, we've talked about the works of the flesh. Look with me here at chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And uh, 
Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now Paul reveals of a spiritual man. Now, I want to make it clear, the works of the flesh, the self-love, the, all these various types of things that people can do, a Christian can do that, but they won't be happy doing it. They can do it. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation because you couldn't buy your salvation in the first place. Your salvation is guaranteed upon the promise of God, thou shalt have everlasting life. I don't, I don't hold the bank note. I didn't give the promise God did. God says, you do this, you're saved. That's, that's all, God holds us in his vault. You can't lose what you didn't buy in the first place. But a spiritual man is going to enjoy the blessings of being God's child. You know, a house where a child is disobedient, rebellious, uh, is going to have a lot more discomfort in that home than a child that's loving and caring and obedient and, and, uh, you know, uh, affectionate and submissive. That's going to be a lot better home. And this is what he's talking to us about. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, the prodigal son, I will arise and go to my father. The prodigal son had lived a horrible life realizing it was a whole lot better to be under his father's rule than it was to be a child in the world living however he wanted, parting. And then when his money dried up, he realized, oh, I'm in trouble. That was there in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. You can read about David when David, he was supposed to go to battle there in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he goes up to the rooftop, he looks down, he sees a woman bathing, showering. He continues to look at her. He says, send her to me. He ends up having an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Then we read about his heart was broken in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent. He would weep. Would you look with me at Ephesians chapter 2? The Apostle Paul cataloging again of human sin. Someone who knows Jesus Christ, when they commit one of these works of the flesh, they're not, it's, they're not going to be going about their life as though everything is okay. They're going to face some struggles. And it's not because God is trying to be mean, but God says, listen, I have called you to be my ambassador, and if you are not a good ambassador for God, you are pushing people away from coming to me. So my child, in the love of you, and your love, I'm going to discipline you, discipline you harshly as the word chastisement comes, as Hebrews talks about. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. And Paul summarizes that. What a wonderful thing of God's mercy. I used to want to do what I wanted to do. I was a child of wrath headed towards destruction. 
And then we come here as we look at, continuing to look here in Galatians chapter 5, but shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but here's a great contrast. The fruit of the Spirit is. This is going to be evidencing what ought to be in our lives a fruit or it ought to be seen in our lives, these various things. You see, our lust works secretly, and it displays itself in the works of the flesh in all various different ways. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, so forth. But the Holy Spirit's work secretly and reveals His presence by the traits of a characteristics. Someone who's walking with God is going to reveal God's characteristics. You see, you act like whom you hang around. And if you're hanging around a whole bunch of this world, you're going to act like this world. If you're hanging around a bunch of uh, you know, individuals who are you know, just like the prodigal son away and going in a bad direction, you're going to act like those whom you hang around. There was a saying that we used to have in a ministry we had at this church, those who do not love the Lord will not help you serve the Lord. And if you're around individuals for any length of time and they don't love God, you're gonna, they're going to pull your heart away from God. But if you're close to God, guess what? You're going to start manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Because who you're around, you're going to mimic. You ever find yourself around an individual who maybe has a weird quirk? And as you're around them for a while, maybe they say something. They begin to say a phrase. Or a colloquialism, or a cliche. And after a while, as you hear it, Hundreds of times, you're going to pick up the saying. Maybe when I was a young kid, I was around some kids on the playground, and, and I heard some words I shouldn't have heard. I remember going home, and when I got angry, I started saying those words. My parents were like, where'd you hear that? You understand who I was hanging around. The Bible tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you're with God, love will be one of the characteristics that you evidence. You see, this word love is a, God's matchless, unconditional love. Now I understand we are still in a daily battle with our own filthy flesh. Love was not Paul's strong point. And yet, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A person who can say they're a Christian and not evidence love in their life, you have to doubt if they really are saved. Because you can't say you're a Christian, you're God's child, born again, redeemed, and evidence no love. You say, well, I love my kids, I love this, I love this, I love this, but you never evidence what God has called us in a love. You have to question, are they truly saved? Now, I'm not saying we're perfect, and I understand there's a growing process. All of us are at a different stage of development in our spiritual life. I understand that. All of us are at a different stage in our physical growth, in our physical life. You know, we're getting older, our bodies hurt, some of your bodies hurt more than others uh, based upon, you know, your age and other sorts of things, but nevertheless, we are at a different stage of development. As we look here, 
First uh, Corinthians thirteen one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Then it says, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But all this idea, the greatest of these is love. Love is the sum and substance of the Christian life. It all begins with love. Love flooded a certain sin-cursed world, you know, even before Adam's fateful fall, that God loved humanity. In Jeremiah 31.3, God says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. As he talks to, these, talks to there in Judah and Moses would write his memoirs of God's love, extraordinary love for Israel. The gospel begins, as you look in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, I like what Frederick M. Lehman's hymn, The Love of God. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk of earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. First John chapter 4, verse 8, God came to d- demonstrate His love for us. First John chapter 4, verse 8. Look at verse 7. If someone's a believer and they can't love another true believer, now I understand there's a lot of people that profess Christ and they don't know Christ and, and they don't evidence the fruit of the Spirit because they've never been, re, they've never been uh, regenerated. They've never been born again. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about someone who is legitimately and genuinely a born-again Bible believer. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If someone can be, you know, just a grouch, uh, and they can be a sourpuss their entire lives without any display, you know, without this display of affection and, and love for the believers, and they're just continually cantankerous, uh, these individuals, uh, you, you question this, the very idea of their faith towards God. And Jesus Christ would demonstrate love in action. And many times what Jesus would do and the disciples did was done behind what no one else knew what was going on, but he demonstrated, Jesus Christ demonstrated love uh, for us. And, you know, it was an aristocratic Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus, that would come to Jesus by night. And yet it was a wicked woman at a well that Jesus displayed. It was a dead little girl, then a demon-possessed little boy that God displayed his love. It was a le- loathsome leper and a woman with an issue of blood that Christ displayed his love. And the, the stories go on and on. And, and the Bible says that all of the 613 commandments of the Mosaic law were contained in the words, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. You see, was love impossible? Not for God, not for Christ. Listen to several of these things that are written here. And John Phillips write these. Not for him, the love of Jesus. He says, he loved poor, lost Herod, seeking, self-seeking Annas, crafty Caiaphas, and weak and wavering Pilate. He loved them enough to die for them. He loved Peter, even as he cursed and swore and denied him. He loved Judas, even as he planted the traitor's kiss on his cheek. He loved the man who punched him in the face, the man who crowned him with thorns, the man who smote him on the head with a reed. And he loved the man who plowed his back with a scourge, which whipped with the whip, right? He loved the soldier who dropped that heavy cross upon his lacerated back and commanded him to get going. He loved the men who nailed him to that tree. He loved the very men who mocked him as he died. Father, forgive them, as he would say in Luke 23, 34. What love, love that no tongue can teach, love that no thought can reach, no love like his, God and its blessed store. Death ne'er can stop its course. Nothing can stay its force. Matchless it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is impossible for us to love. But it's not impossible to love if I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm denying to walk in the flesh. I'm denying to do what feels good. But I say, God, I want to do it your way. The evidence of me spending time with God, of having a close relationship with God, is love. We cannot manufacture it. Neither can the flesh imitate it. Now, the flesh can exhibit what we may call love, but it's flawed at best. True love is of God, for God is love. I was reading a, kind of the story of, of uh, George Mueller. I'm listening, actually, to the audio book, and I, I think about the faith of George Mueller as he, he says, Lord, I, I believe you want us to start an orphanage. He starts an orphanage. He says, I'm not going to ask anyone for it. He doesn't ask anyone. And God begins to provide little by little. And then there's days where they have no, you know, they're almost without food. The kids, you know, and they're just like, how do we do this? And the kids never miss, but, you know, the staff are like, you know, like, we're out. We have nothing. And they're praying and asking the Lord. And out of nowhere, so on. You know, someone deposits or gives or does something and, and God does a great work. God put upon his heart of George Mueller an idea that of all these young kids, abandoned, fatherless, on the streets, to bring them in and care for them. In a ministry that is nothing less than of all God. And George Mueller never wanted any praises of man. Because it was God's ministry. And David Livingston in Africa, in the heart of Africa, says, Drummond, among the Great Lakes, I have come across black men and women who remembered the only white man they ever saw before, David Livingston. And as you cross his footsteps in that dark continent, men's faces light up as they speak of the kind doctor who passed there years ago. They could not understand him, but they felt the love that beat in his heart. You can find about Carrie. 
Adoniram Judson in Burma, Hudson Taylor in China, David Brainerd among the natives in the States, J.G. Patton among the, the cannibals of the New Hebrides, George Mueller and the orphans of England. Christian's love not only has sought to save men's souls, to build hospitals, asylums, leper colonies, orphanages, and homes for the aged. Love would send William Booth to the drunks and derelicts of London slum, London slums. Love led William Wilberforce to strike the blow that freed the slaves in Britain's vast domains. Love sent Lord Shaftesbury to the factories and mines and then to the House of Lords to demand an end to child abuse and harsh labor laws. When all else fails, love never fails. Christianity is Christ. Christ is God and God is love. Christianity is love in action. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You see, Christian, I understand and when I begin to get in that position of the anger and the hatred and the frustration and the, and the malcontent and discontent and dissatisfaction, I have to say I'm leaning towards the flesh. I've not been near my Father. Something's pulling me back. I've got to get back to the Father to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit of love. It's, a, it's an indicator in my life. I'm going back, right? That hatred, variance, all those things. You're working in the flesh. You're not doing it in God's power. Get back to God. As you spend time with God, you'll demonstrate God's characteristics. There's much more I could say on that for the sake of time tonight. Next is joy, and we'll talk about this, Lord willing, next week. But my friend, our need of the hour evermore as our world becomes increasingly wicked, evil, We've got to stay close to the source. Because I'll never show the true love. I'll never have a right heart if I am distanced from the one with whom I've called to be holy, to be separate, to be a new creature. I'm to follow Christ. As I follow Him, and as I hang around Him, and I hang around godly people, I will therein evidence godly characteristics. As you think on these truths tonight, Christian, I want to ask you, are you demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, love? Is that in your heart? How are you dealing with maybe difficult family, difficult co-workers, difficult church members, difficult government, you name it. How are you dealing with this? Because Christian... We've been called to be different. Not weird, different. I'm called to be like a child of my Father. As you think on these truths tonight, as we come to the time of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed, how are you doing in demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit love? How is your heart Maybe you're saying I'm demonstrating some of that fruit works in the flesh. And if that's the case, maybe you're not spending time with the Lord or you're spending very little or distracted time. You're not spending a right time with God. Because the more time you spend around Him, the more you're going to be like Him. What is in your life that's pulling you away from God? Creating that division and creating the discontentment, dissatisfaction, and breaking your heart. And say it's time. We just get back to the essential 
and spending time with our Father. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight and you're watching, I encourage you, please ask Christ to forgive you of all your sins. Don't, you can't work for it. It's not baptism. It's not taking communion or mass. It's not confessing to a priest. It's not any of those. It is simply to realize your sins, put Jesus on that cross, your sins will send you to hell and you're a guilty criminal before God. And you plead with God for mercy and accept the gift of Jesus Christ as forgiveness of all your sins and you're born again. And my friend, that's the start of being a new creature, a child of God, loved forever. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. When you're done praying, look up and we'll conclude in prayer this evening.